Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode where we interview a single investor to discuss one company. And today we have on mostly borrowed ideas and we're talking about Adian. This was a very fun discussion. You can tell how in-depth his research is and how much of a grasp he has on the payments business as a whole. Uh, before we talk about our sponsor, did you have any highlights from this interview? Yeah, the whole thing was great. You can tell he has great passion for his work and he does great write-ups on the mostly borrowed ideas, investment research service. Let's give him a little shout out there. Uh, but I did like the talk about employee compensation and comparing that to Stripe, why Adian's been so different and whether that's sustainable. Yeah, that was definitely one of the highlights for me as well. But we want to talk about our sponsor for the episode. It's Common Stock. Common Stock is a social network for investors. It's a, similar to financial Twitter, uh, but you're getting more thorough write-ups. Uh, I think more thoughtful discussion. The signal to noise ratio is is much better there, um, and and it's really a community of experienced investors that you can connect your brokerage account, so you know you're getting real time data, real, real information. Um, and it just, it, it's a really valuable platform to, to discuss any investments you might have people, uh, you can call it kind of a Bloomberg terminal for main street. I like that analogy. Um, so yeah, go ahead, check them out. I got to start going on there more myself, uh, because I'm finding, uh, I've, I've heard from you and Ian that the discussion on there is more thoughtful. So I'll, uh, make sure you say the website. Oh, sure of course. It's commonstock.com to join. So yeah, one more time, commonstock.com to join today. Uh, yeah, go ahead, check it out. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. Today, we are joined by Mostly Borrowed Ideas. Uh, that is his pseudonym on Twitter. That's probably how you're familiar with him or by his research service, Mostly Borrowed Ideas Deep Dives. What's the, am I, is there a specific name to it? it well, MBI Deep Dives. So it's basically the you know, abbreviation of Mostly Borrowed Ideas, MBI and Deep okay. Dives. Yeah. All right. And today we are talking about Adian uh, and you just uh, released a your deep dive for the month, and it was Adian. So we got the chance to read it. We've got a whole bunch of questions around it. Let's start with their role in the payment space. I know a lot of people. There's a lot of love for Adian, but it isn't always super clear what yeah. exactly they do or how they fit into the payments ecosystem. So can you explain that? And can you talk about how they actually generate revenue? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good question because I feel like. Uh, you know, payments uh, can be quite complicated, even though it may seem very, you know, simple from consumers and uh, you just feel like, oh, I just, you know, have my credit card and I just, you know, used it and that, you know, transaction was successful. So it seems very simple, but there's like an incredibly, you know, detailed work or dizzying amount of work that's being like done and behind the scenes. So maybe it's, it's probably helpful, like if I just, you know, explain how, the, how well, like a hundred dollar transaction works like at a, at a let's say retailer like at walmart or target 
uh, and that that can probably be clarifying uh, for, for the listener. So, uh, so you know, uh, once you insert the credit card into uh, you know Target or Walmart's uh, you know point of sales terminal, uh, your, your card credentials and transaction data are captured, uh, like your name and like you know, all the details and like the card numbers. And then the margin acquirer, which in this case, let's say Adyen, Adyen can be a margin acquirer, uh, sends the data to the card networks, which are you know, Visa, MasterCard, who subsequently queries the customer's issuing bank for authorization. Issuing bank can be like, you know, if you are using a you know, Chase card, like you know, your issuing bank could be you know, JP Morgan Chase. Uh, and the issuing bank, you know, when they are checking for authorization, they will check for whether you have enough funds, you know, whether this this is a potential fraud, you know, risk analysis, like all all those stuff will be done done in that phase. And once the issuing bank basically green lights, the authorization flows through the card networks to the merchant acquirer, again such as Adyen, and the merchant, uh, the retailer like Walmart or. Our, our target receives the confirmation from its margin acquirer that the transaction is authorized. And then the sale is completed. Like this is called the authorization phase. And then there's another phase that begins, which is called settlement phase. So to start the payment process, the credit card issuing bank provides credit on behalf of the customer to settle the transaction, which is routed through the card networks who then passes a transaction to Martin Acquirer's backend processor for settlement. The backend processor then settles a you know, net outstanding balance between the card issuing bank and the Martin Acquiring Bank. Uh, and, and the merchant, you know, Martin Bank will basically credit the merchant's account for the amount of the purchase, in this case, like $100, less the fees charged, which typically is, let's say, $2.5 or two to three dollars, let's just say, for facilitating the transaction across multiple uh, parties. So uh, so that's like the whole you know cycle for the both authorization phase and the settlement phase. And there's still like you know, a bunch of stuff. Maybe I, I probably should go on uh, because you know actually it's still not completed the transaction because the fees are, you know, that I talked about two and two to three dollar of fees are you know MDR or margin discount rate. So it's probably helpful to talk about how how that gets distributed, right? So these fees can be segmented in three ways: uh, interchange fees, which can range from 150 to 300 bips uh, basis points uh, paid to the issuing bank. Uh, uh, one and the other could be acquiring spread, which can vary from 10 to 100 bips paid to the margin acquirer, such as Adyen, uh, and that's how they will you know uh, generate revenue. And if front-end processor is separate from back-end, front-end processor gets a majority of the spread. Uh, and when and basically, when the customer receives a credit card statement, he or she either pays a you know, bill in full amount or can choose to pay interest on unpaid balance, and the issuing bank receives the interest in, in that case. So that's basically the whole cycle of how a $100 transaction that happens on Walmart or Target and ends up being paid by by the you know customer who is basically buying that product from Target or or Walmart, so it's it's a fairly link link you know lengthy cycle, and uh, it, although it can seem pretty simple, I'm, I know I, I have been speaking for a while just explaining a hundred dollar transaction, but it takes like a few seconds to get confirmation. 
Right. Right. From the customer side, it just, you know, all, all you see is the transaction complete, but you don't see everything in the back end. And so yeah. what does, how does Adian, I guess, differ or, yeah. or what are, what's their role? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Adian's like Adian uh, reports like uh, gross revenue and net revenue. And uh, basically net revenue is a primary focus. Uh, and I'll explain why. So the gross revenue uh, is segmented in four categories, the settlement fees, processing fees, uh, you know, like I didn't report in four categories, uh, but they can make like more uh, revenue, they can generate revenue streams from multiple sources. So this, the four categories that they mentioned, settlement fees, processing fees, sales of goods, sales of goods is basically the, uh, uh, you know, point of sales terminal. And, uh, and lastly, other services, other services is basically uh, like a whole bunch of things like, you know, data analytics, risk analytics, fraud analytics, like all, all the uh, value-added services that you know, uh, Adian provides to the merchants. So as a whole, you know, Adian basically is known as PSP or payment service provider, right? So they can do acquiring, they can do, uh, you know, uh, uh, like, you know, processing and all this like risk analytics and, and fraud analytics services as well. So settlement fees is basically 90% of the gross revenue uh, but 56% of the net revenue and processing fees is 5% of gross revenue, but 29% of net revenue. So there's, you know, there's obvious question, what's driving these differences. So for settlement fees, Adyen follows an interchange plus pricing. So Adyen has a transparent pricing model and charges fees to margins based on its own in-card costs plus a markup for its acquiring services. So like, you know, if they settle like $100 uh, of payments, uh, uh, you know, they get to keep like $10 uh, and the rest, you know, like interchange fees and other stuff that, you know, gets back to, you know, the issuing banks, the card networks and, you know, and, and many other players within, within that like process. So, and the set, the settlement, like, sorry, the interchange fees vary widely from like, you know, country to country based on regulations, like for, uh, in the euro, like uh, it's like uh, 20, 20 to 30 bips of interchange fees. Uh, but in the US, it can vary widely based on the issuing bank's, uh, you know, total assets. So if issuing bank has more than 10 billion of total assets, the interchange fees are a lot lower. I think it's uh, 21 cents plus five bips. Uh, of your transaction value. But if it's if you're issuing bank has less than $10 billion of assets, then you know it can be a lot higher because of like you know Darwin Amendment and Dodd-Frank uh, you know uh, regulation, like that's probably beyond the scope for this podcast. But you know, yeah, it can vary widely. So but Adin has no control over and obviously have, has no control over interchange fees or how the regulation is being, you know, uh, 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 being done in, in a particular geography. So gross revenue is basically uh, not the most important part to look at. It's basically the net revenue. Like after the interchange fees and all the like, you know, unavoidable costs, uh, what what Adian gets to keep from that payment volume. And generally speaking, it's around twenty bips. So if there's like a hundred dollar transaction, it just keeps 20 bips of that hundred dollar uh, for, and that's their net revenue, right? So it's a very small slice, but once you do like a, you know, uh, they, they did 500 
I think 16 billion of uh, in a pay, uh, not dollar 516 billion euro uh, payment volume last year. So you know 20 bps of that is uh, is a billion, right? So uh, so yeah, payment market is exceptionally large. Like it's so large, it probably defies most people's you know expectation. It's actually so payment markets theoretically it's actually bigger than world's GDP. So world's GDP is like 85 trillion. Uh, like I was looking at like Credit Suisse's, you know, payments primer, and they mentioned in, I think it's 2019 or 2020, that world's GDP was 85 trillion and payments market was basically 240 million, 40 trillion dollar because you know every each level of GDP output, you know, uh, is being paid multiple times, right? So that's why the payment market can be actually bigger than uh world's gdp which you know you know if you don't know about how, how the whole thing works it may seem laughable but you know then you look at like you know stripe did uh 640 billion dollar uh last year of uh you know uh payments volume jpp uh, chase payment tech did 1.4 trillion dollar of payment volume so these are exceptionally large markets and if you can keep just a small small slice of that like it, it, it becomes a huge deal uh, for, for these players. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow you triumph. Book your stay at lq.com. Okay, that segues perfectly into our next question, and that is who are Adyen's competitors? You mentioned Stripe. I think a lot of people know that company, at least if you follow the investing landscape, they're super popular in Silicon Valley. But yeah. when I was reading your report, there's a lot of large legacy players. I think a ton of yeah. people have not heard of. And then on top of that, yeah, it's hard for an investor maybe to understand why someone would choose Adyen versus Stripe versus those legacy players. So what causes someone to choose Adyen? You know, why are they growing so quickly because of it? Yeah. Yeah. So as I said, you know, payments market is an exceptionally large market. And there are so many, there are many different ways you kind of, you know, slice that, you know, large market. Uh, so broadly speaking, I would say there are like two types of, you know, competitors. Uh, one is like legacy players, like you know uh, Chase uh, Payment Tech, which is owned by J.P. Morgan, uh, WorldPay, uh, uh, which is owned by FIS or Fidelity, uh, you know National Information Services, uh, publicly listed company, uh, and uh, the other is like uh, First Data. Uh, so uh, sorry, uh, yeah, First Data, and they, they are owned by Pfizer, again another publicly listed company, right? So these are the legacy players. And there's other group of players, uh, I would say, uh, fellow disruptors who are trying to kind of, you know, gain share uh, in, in this market, uh, in, in the payments market. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, there can be more than, uh, I, I, there can be a lot more uh, players in that market than I probably know of. But the two that kind of, you know, has gained a lot of attention over the last, let's say, you know, uh, two, three, four, five years is basically Stripe and, and Checkout. Uh, so, so you know, so broadly two two types of competitors, but there are also like different ways to look at the market itself. So uh, one could be uh, you have like an enterprise market, and then uh, other could be a small merchants market, 
right? So, and those two markets can have very different needs, very different problems. And, and because they have different problems, they actually want, you know, different solutions as well, right? And, and, be, and, and some companies are better suited to solve those problems, you know, uh, than, than, than let's say other players in that, in, in, in that market. So maybe it's good to kind of talk about how uh, that need differs in, in these two markets, right? So, uh, so to, you know, as I said, small margins and, and enterprise markets, I think uh, small margins have basically simple payment needs. Like, you know, uh, they, uh, let's say uh, uh, a mom and pop, uh, you know, uh, retailer in, in the US, uh, they are probably just processing in US dollar. Uh, they're, you know, all domestic, you know, debit or credit cards. So very simple, like, you know, people are coming to the store, you know, buying stuff and paying with their debit or credit card, right? Uh, very simple, very plain vanilla. Uh, and for, for them, they don't need all, all, you know, all the complex stuff. Uh, but on the other hand, enterprise, uh, you know, customers, like think about Nike, Adidas, Amazon, right? They're dealing with extremely complex payment flows. Uh, so, you know, you are thinking, you're talking now, we're, it's not just, you know, debit or credit card. It's, it could be about like, you know, a uh, customer may want to like, you know, buy now, pay later services. Uh, customers may want that. Customers, you may want to give customers discount, right? You know, uh, you are emailing them saying, hey, you get to, if you click this link, you get 20% discount. You can also like split payments, like, you know, uh, you know, you you buy you pay half now, and upon delivery, you pay the rest fifty percent. So, you know, for enterprise customers, there can be a, like a you know a lot more ways, payment methods, and you know a, a complexity uh, that can arise uh, compared to the you know uh, like the small margins who basically just need uh, a payment uh, like you know uh, you know like a single currency. Uh, uh, and like you know, debit and credit card payment methods, and, and that's pretty much it. Uh, and 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 that's why, like you know, uh, any plain vanilla, like any, any legacy player, uh, can can give a very you know competitive solution to the small margins. And in many cases, what happens is uh, uh, you know these legacy players bundle a lot of different services and and sell uh like you know along with the you know psp services like payment service provider provider services and like also some you know let's say lending products or like in other banking products uh, uh like you know or, or like savings accounts and all and, you know banking uh anything banking related like all all those can be kind of bundled together and then sold to uh you know some of these players so they can afford to be very price competitive in in in, in those markets uh Enterprise customers, they are because they, you know, payments is very, you know, crucial, right? Payments is mission critical. You know, if you can't accept payment, if you're, let's say, if your customer wants to avail, you know, buy now, pay later services, but you don't get you are losing sales. You are you are losing you know, revenue, right? So uh it's just not, you know, if for enterprise customers, cost is perhaps not the most uh deciding factor. Right, it's about like you know whether uh, you know the the most important probably thing is authorization rates, right? So authorization rates is basically like you know if 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 ten people go to my website and you know uh, subscribes to my work and let's say eight of them was able to for let's say eight or eight of their transactions went through and two failed, so the authorization rate let's say uh, for 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 my business is like eighty percent. 
right? So there's 20% sales that I'm losing. And for like small, you know, uh, like, you know, uh, margins or, or, or even someone like me, it, it may not, it's important, it still hurts, but it's not like a deal breaker. Like, you know, if you are, uh, you know, generating like, you know, $100,000 of revenue and you are losing like 10%, you are losing 10,000 sales. That's a, that means a lot to you. But like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like it's probably not uh, a huge deal. But uh, if you're generating $1 billion of TPV, like total payment volume, and you lose 10%, that's like $100 million of lost revenue. Like that's, if you can solve that, if you can, uh, if, if your PSP or payment service provider is able to give you like 95% authorization rate versus let's say a legacy player who is giving you like 85%, 90%, like that's a massive difference. So it's not just about, uh, you know, picking the uh, legacy player or picking any player who is giving you the most comp cost competitive rates. Uh, it's more about like who can give me high authorization rates, who can, uh, and, and, it, and it, it, it requires real skill. It requires, you know, a, a lot of capabilities. Like for example, uh, in Mexico, I was just reading like, uh, they don't do they don't process transactions overnight, right? So and there are many other there are many other nuances that you need to know, like in which countries, in which regions, like where when it will be easier for the transaction to go through. Like even for in my own website, I see like uh, uh, there you know I probably lose like one percent of my subscribers every month, just you know because of payment failure, wow. right? Yeah, so that's monthly, right? So if you on an annual basis, I probably lose like 10, 12 percent, uh, you know, my revenue because of payment failure. And I, I see like Stripe, I, so I use Stripe in my in my website, and uh, basically Stripe tries to uh, retries uh, to to kind of you know go through that transaction like uh, you know uh, multiple times. So you need to like you know Stripe or any sort of you know. Uh, a PSP needs to understand like where this transaction is coming from, when exactly uh, it's much, much more likely that it will go through successfully. So you, know, you, you need to do, do this in a very intelligent way and you need that level of like data and understanding and, and, and capabilities. Uh, and, and that's why it, it can be quite challenging and difficult task. Uh, especially if you have like multiple in platforms and in acquisitions that you did over the years, because it, it, if, if everything is integrated, if everything is one single platform, then it's just easier to understand, easier to kind of see why a, why a transaction was not successful. Like, so I, I, I even on my own website, I can see like, oh, this transaction didn't go through because let's say uh, the, uh, like, you know, expired, it, it, the card has expired. By the way, 3% of card expires every month, like uh, globally, 3% card. So, you know, you need to have like uh, uh, a capability that will automatically update uh, the, you know, cards and everything like once it's expired. So, so it takes, uh, you know, a real effort from the PSP's perspective to be able to see through what's happening like I, as i was explaining like what the dizzying amount of work that's being done in the in the background so it takes a lot of like you know understanding to know why exactly a transaction didn't go through and if it's like a hodgepodge of like different platforms which in many cases the legacy platforms are uh like i uh, just to give an example so adian was 
uh, you know, the Adyen founders basically uh, had a, you know, their, their first company was called Bibit, uh, and they sold it to WorldPay. Uh, uh, actually, it used they sold it to Royal Bank of Scotland (RBS), uh, and RBS basically sold that business, uh, sold their PSP business, uh, which later uh, became known as WorldPay. WorldPay then. Uh, you know, uh, uh, was owned by, bought by a PE farm during the global financial crisis. Then WorldPay came to IPO, I think in 2015 or 16. Then Vantive, Vantive merged with WorldPay. Uh, and then Vantive itself was acquired by uh, uh, FIS. So it, I'm just talking about just one company here, right? So you can think about how many platform integrations, how many uh, you know, uh, and all these companies like acquired like a bunch of other companies. So it's just, you know, it's it's very difficult to have a very holistic view of what's happening uh, in, a, in, the, in the background. Uh, and anytime you lose a bit of data in that like, you know, integration process, then you, you don't know why a transaction didn't go through. So you are not being able to help your customers uh, to kind of improve the authorization rate. And I, as, I, as I mentioned, you know that's a that's a revenue that you're losing. It's not, and, and it's true for any sort of internet scaled businesses because most of these businesses are global in nature. Uh, you know, so they they need solution that can, and, and in many cases they are you know they are in multiple channels, like omni-channel, like they are in physical locations, they are in you know they are online, and they they also have omni-channel capabilities. So it's 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 a you need a holistic solution. You need a single platform to be able to see and locate and be able to explain why a transaction didn't go through and what could the customer do to improve the authorization. So authorization rates, as they, I would say, is the most important factor for, for the enterprise customer. Doesn't mean that the costs and like, you know, uh, and all, all the other stuff like, you know, uh, are not important. Uh, like for example, uh, and it, it it requires a cultural mindset change. So for a long time, uh, even the enterprise customers used to look at it like you know, oh, the authorization rates are kind of similar, like among these legacy players. Uh, let's just go with the lowest you know uh, cost provider, right? And 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 in many cases, you know, it, it, you know, it used to be some you know a company uh, that has like you know uh, that also gives them banking services. And so everything's bundled, just like you know, for let's say small margins, they used to think uh, from the cost uh, perspective. But now, I think with, with the rise of ADN and a few other players, the focus has shift has been shifted to to more of authorization rates and how how it can increase. So that's like the uh, uh, more focal point um, in, in in the industry at this point. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Right. One clear, one clarifying question here: Is Adyen number one in authorization rates? So uh, the, I, I haven't seen like a uh, like a public data. I don't think anybody really discloses this data. Uh, but 
there have been like a lot of instances. I would say uh, I, I did. I, I think I did see. I think it's in Brazil where Mastercard uh, mentioned that uh, Adyen had the highest authorization, but I'm not sure about the like the global authorization rates and all that. Uh, and uh, and I mentioned in my write up like you know it, it's such a critical data point, but unfortunately nobody really discloses it publicly. Uh, and if you go through like, you know, everyone's report, like they'll, they'll all say authorization rate is important and our authorization, authorization rate is good and all that. But uh, what's good mean? What, what does good mean? And, you know, uh, it, and how how do I compare between these different platforms, right? That's, that's the uh, difficult part because they don't disclose this. I would say uh, based on my due diligence and uh, like, you know, uh, just drilling through like different customers uh, experience and why they uh, chose one PSP over another, uh, Adyen is generally regarded as uh, the, you know, uh, the best in authorization rates and, and they are known as a premium product. So everybody knows they are the premium product. There are, you know, products out there, there are PSPs out there who charge less than Adyen. So the only reason you'd still pick Adyen basically if, you, if they allow you to give higher authorization rates. And the, the way the kind of the math works, like, you know, uh, like the cost is irrelevant. If you can, if, if someone comes out, like in, if tomorrow uh, a new payment company comes and says, we are able to give 99% authorization rate. And let's say Adyen gives 95%, like the cost, like it just not matter because you are losing real revenue, like 4% of revenue. And the cost is basically minuscule. Like, you know, like I say, like if someone is charging you 20 bips instead of 10 bips, it doesn't matter if that, you know, uh, the, that same company, the, the company that's charging you 20 bips is also giving a four or 5% higher authorization rate. Like the math is so significantly skewed uh, to just pick the one that have higher authorization rate that the cost is basically much less important. Uh, you know, top, top, uh, you know, topic in in, in these discussions. But uh, uh, at the same time, all in you know, most merchants, I would say, all, almost all merchants, uh, enterprise enterprise merchants, basically uh, have multiple PSPs. So it's not just Adyen, it's not just Stripe, it's not just you know uh, Chase Payment Tech. It's probably all three, four, five, right? So what happens is one or two players get like bulk of the payment volume, let's say 70, 80% of the volume, and the rest like two or three gets like the, you know, 10 or 20%. Uh, and because, uh, oh, there are you know, a couple of reasons. One is the merchants want negotiating leverage, right? So uh, they, when they are renegotiating, they want to, you know, kind of kind of have like a fallback option. They want to say, hey, we have, you know, uh, if it, when they're negotiating, when they are talking about costs and all that, like, uh, they, they want to make sure they have other alternative out there. Uh, and also you need to be able to kind of compare, right? So if you have two, three, four, then you know exactly who is giving a high authorization rates and whether the value add, uh, you know, is, is making sense uh, after taking into the costs into the account. The other thing is other big reason why they all need, almost all need uh, multiple, uh, you know, PSPs is basically, uh, every company has their downtime. So even if like a company is down, like down for one hour in, uh, like in, even if a company says uh, that, you know, we are operational like 99.989% of the time, uh, like, like I said, payment is extremely, you know, 
mission critical. Like you can't afford uh, not to have your pay payments functional, payments functional, right? So, uh, but even if if your company is like in operational ninety nine point nine eight nine percent, it means you are down one hour out of like you know one hour in a year, right? So one hour out of eight thousand seven hundred sixty hours, which is like a total hours in a year, is basically ninety nine point nine eight nine percent. Right, so you don't want to miss revenue. You don't want to lose revenue when a particular, you know, PSP is down for one hour, five hours, ten hours, whatever. And and there are instances where a lot of legacy players, you know, at times, let, you know, lost their primary PSP status uh, when they were down for like a long time, uh, for you know, technical reasons. So, so these are the things like uh, uh, why. At any point of time, uh, most enterprise uh, margins will have multiple PSPs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay. And Adyen has obviously uh, grown quickly over the last uh, several years. Yeah. What do you think is going to uh, help them continue that growth? What are going to be the driving factors? Yeah. So, uh, well, as I said, like, you know, a, a payments market is just exceptionally large market. So, uh, although they did uh, uh, 516 billion euro of payments volume last year, uh, which was more than 200 billion euro compared to 2020, right? So, so you know, uh, I, I you know I, I was just thinking like if I were looking at this company uh, in 2020, and if I were if we are if I were if I wanted to project like how much they would grow, I would definitely not project like you know they would grow another 200 billion of payments volume. Uh, but you know these markets are just so so large, right? So there are. Basically, three ways that Adyen has uh, kind of grown over the years. Uh, one is, uh, you know, when your customer base is basically the Ubers, the Spotify's, you know, the Netflixes of the world, like these businesses have themselves grown rapidly, right? And you are just basically processing their, you know, payments uh, volume, right? So if your customers grow, you grow with them, right? As long as you, uh, you know, uh, remain their PSP. Uh, the other thing, uh, so that's one. The other, uh, the second one would be uh, just you know, like you know, if you are, if let's say, if you uh, you know, if you are starting from uh, being a PSP of Spotify or Uber in let's say Australia or Norway, right? And Spotify and Uber can see, hey, Adyen has you know has cons consistently uh, provided us such a high authorization rate compared to any other PSP. 
uh, and you know, let's also give them let's say Sweden or some other markets. And over time, you will just gain wallet share within your existing customers, right? And Adrian mentioned like uh, 80% of their growth basically comes from their existing customers. So it's, it's basically 80% of the growth is basically coming from their customers growing themselves organically, and also they are gaining wallet share uh, within their customer base. And the third would be basically just, you know, uh, uh, find new customers, find new and, you know, uh, margins that are not uh, your existing customers, right? So if you look forward, I think uh, those, those are, again, very powerful uh, growth drivers. Uh, I think Adyen will continue to gain wallet share. Their customer base, these are, again, internet-scaled businesses. They will probably continue to grow. Uh, and and they will continue to uh, you know attract new customers uh, to their platform, and and as payments volume grow like you know continue to grow, Adyen will probably just you know uh, grow in tandem uh, with them, and at the same time they are you know they they also are introducing new products and services. So for example, they're currently working on issuing and uh, uh, an Adyen Capital. Uh, so their take rates can also improve. So if their take rates improve, uh, you know their net revenue can also uh, grow uh, in tandem uh, with them. So I I think Adyen will continue to grow at a at a pretty and they actually themselves uh, guide like low twenties to uh, sorry mid twenties to low thirties uh, net revenue growth in the medium term. They don't define what medium term is. Uh, but that's that's what they guide, like you know, mid twenties to low thirties. We're always Can't. in the medium term. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully permanently in the medium term. Um, yeah. so we, we've done basically the unit economics down to net revenue, but let's go down to the bottom line or whatever one you think is the best. I don't know if it's free cash flow or EBITDA margins here, but they have a quite impressive profit margins. I think even higher than Visa and Mastercard of sixty-five percent. Maybe go through that and why. Because uh, I thought that was an interesting part of your report. Why is it so much better than what you're hearing uh, Stripe has? Yeah. So, uh, yes, they have a 65% EBITDA margin, and their incremental EBITDA margin is like more than 70%. Uh, so, these are exceptionally profitable business. Uh, I would say PSP, generally speaking, uh, it's it's a... You know, these are very capital efficient business. Uh, like I was in a checkout, for example, uh, a, a competitor for uh, Adyen. Uh, like the, I, was, I was listening to a podcast uh, of the founder and CEO, and he was mentioning that he basically bootstrapped uh, checkout uh, for the first like uh, seven years, six, seven years, right? Uh, I mean, they raised like almost $1.8 billion over the last uh three years. So they raised money, but you know, uh, they didn't raise money at all for the first seven years. Similar to Adyen. Adyen also, Adyen actually raised, it, this is crazy, like they raised, just raised $266 million, right? Their current market cap is basically almost $50 billion, right? So uh, it's just crazy, like, you know, how capital efficient Adyen was. Uh, Adyen also, well, first five years, they didn't raise any money, outside money. Uh, you know, I think, so they started in 2006, in 2011, they uh, raised outside money. And when they came to IPO, they actually didn't raise money. Uh, they just, it was just a liquidity event for existing shareholders. Uh, so 
So yeah, you know, it's it's extremely profitable company. Uh, part of the reason is basically, the, you know, once once you come to net revenue, uh, basically majority cost is your uh, you know salaries and wages, right? And unlike other tech companies, Adyen has been, you know, surprisingly been able to really keep the cost for its employees down. So it's only 20% of their net revenue. So, you know, when you just take like 20% of net revenue and the 10% of like you know, other operating expenses and, and, and some other stuff, you're basically left with like 65, 70% uh, EBITDA margin, right? Uh, there, there are no other costs. It's basically the personnel uh, salaries and wages, uh, which I have like, you know, a bit of a mixed feeling about, uh, but that's one of the reasons why Adin is so loved by its shareholders and so loved by investors because it's such an incredibly, not only it's a very profitable company, but, uh, you know, and also there's no SBC, there's no stock-based compensation. So 65, 70%, these are not like non-GAAP numbers. Right? There's hardly any stock-based company. I think they uh, paid like six million, uh, if I'm not wrong, uh, of SBC last year, which is like you know peanuts compared to any other tech companies out there. Uh, but yeah, so, so th- that, that's why they're su- such a profitable company. There's basically no other cost apart from uh, you know salaries for employees, and they don't pay much. So, you know, they if you look at, uh, I was just looking at actually Stripe's and Adyen's uh, salaries in the US. And Stripe's uh, salary for like I was, I was just comparing an entry level software engineer uh, salary, and Stripe's offer is basically fifty percent higher uh, than Adyen's, right? So, uh, so it's just you know, uh, uh, and and part of the reason uh, why I, I I guess there are a couple of reasons why Adyen was able to keep the costs low. One is uh, you know people talk about like you know it's a Dutch company, it's a Netherlands company, and Dutch people are. Uh, you know, slightly more frugal, conservative, and all that. I'm not a big believer in, in that argument. Uh, every, every, I'm pretty sure all the companies out there would love to pay companies less if they could. Uh, so, so, so I was curious, like, you know, why they were able to do it, and uh, the probably a much better explanation is basically regulations. So, in Netherlands, where where is basically 60% of Adyen's employees are. Uh, your variable compensation cannot exceed 20% of your fixed compensation. So it's not like, you know, if you're paid 100K base, uh, you know, it, it, it can't be more than 20K uh, bonus. Uh, I feel like Silicon Valley needs that rule. <laughs> that, that could be a, that might not be a bad rule to implement over there. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe. So, so <laughs> give and take, maybe, give and take, maybe. Yeah. So that's the thing. I, 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 I that's why I was mentioning, like, you know, I have a mixed feeling about it. I feel like, uh, so when you think about it, like, why do you think, or this is a question I ask myself, like, why, like, if in 10 years, if IDN remains the top notch payments uh, PSP, uh, like why why would it be the case? Like there are many different reasons, but one of the reasons would be like uh, their platform remains uh, you know technically top notch because they were able to hire top notch talents. But how could Adyen hire great talents if they pay like fifty percent less, right? right. So uh, uh, so you know obviously you, you you can't invent the rules. You have to play. Uh, play the game in a way that uh, you know uh, the rules are given, right? So you can't just say I'm not going to pay people 
right? Because it's just too high. If everyone else is paying, you will just lose out on talent, right? So the question is whether Adin will, uh, whether the talent that Adin is attracting is below par, right? Uh, do, do, do you think that being based in Europe at that point then is an advantage for them because they can, yes. it's sort of a different talent pool. So maybe they aren't necessarily competing with the other yeah. payments providers as much as just the other companies in Europe. And Fang and Right. Yeah. So, so, so that's that's what I was saying. Like, sixty percent of uh, their employees are for, yeah, are in Netherlands, and Netherlands has that regulation. Even I think uh, in EU, I'm not sure about this. Like, I was just looking at some consultant uh, consulting firms, uh, like you know, research, and it, it mentioned like it cannot exceed more than twenty percent for Netherlands, and it cannot exceed more than hundred percent for uh, the other EU region. So maybe mm-hmm. even like uh, uh, other you know uh, European countries. Uh, uh, they have some sort of like in a cushion in terms of keep, uh, how to keep their uh, salary expenses low. Uh, the thing is, uh, they generate 23% of their revenue in North America, net revenue, right? Uh, last year, but their employees are like only 12% of the total like company's employee, employee base. So they're not really hiring like, you know, like crazy in the US or in North America, like probably because they think the costs uh, for hiring a good talent in, in the US is too high right now, which is probably the right, you know, uh, the right thing to say at this point. But I guess, uh, yes, uh, you know, one particular, one way we could probably think uh, think about this thing is basically uh, whether Adyen has a better system uh, uh, to extract value from 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 its employees or from its talent, so you know uh, it, the way I kind of explain it is basically it's not like you know uh, it, you know you just hire the best talent and, and 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 you will get the best products and the best platform, right? You also need to be like whatever talent you are hiring, you still need to be able to have a system to extract value from your talent. Like if it's like a haphazard you know culture. Uh, in the within the company, uh, you you may not you know be able to extract value from your employees, uh, from your talented employees, uh, even if you pay them a you know a lot higher than the other companies. So, and yes, Adian does have interesting you know uh, approach when it comes to uh, talent. So uh, one thing that you know Peter Vander does, uh, who is the CEO and founder of Adian, uh, mentioned that. One of the six, uh, like uh, uh, like six board members in Adyen, uh, uh will always hire like a uh, sorry will always interview a new hire. So only six people. They have like what I think uh, roughly two thousand employees now, more than two thousand maybe. So every one of them, no matter whether they're you know like an engineer, sales and marketing person, or receptionist, everyone is being interviewed. Uh, at least one round of interviews being done by one of the uh, six board members, right? So, uh, so that kind of you know shows how how like you know uh, dedicated and, and religious they are in terms of keeping the quality of the of the resource pool and talent pool. The other thing I think that may work in favor of Adyen. So sometimes it's not just your uh, talent pool, but also whether you have the right strategy at the at the top. Right. So Adyen, for example, like they never did any acquisition ever. So, you know, one of the reasons uh, Peter Vander does uh, wanted to uh, start a new company, Adyen basically means start over again. So 
the, the, the reason he wanted to start over again and, and, and you know, founded Adyen was because he felt uh, this, the legacy companies, they are just hodgepodge of like different, you know, platforms and acquisitions that these companies have done over the years. And now in many cases, those companies don't talk to each other, right? Or, or it becomes very difficult to kind of, you know, innovate and, and uh, you know, uh, and integrate uh, with new releases and like, you know, with, with new payment flows or new complexity that arises in, in the payment value chain. So, uh, so he, he never wanted to do any acquisition and it's actually very difficult not to do an acquisition because, you know, it's, it's, very, it's very tempting to do. Like if you, uh, if you don't have a particular capabilities in a market, you can just, you know, buy a company, integrate that in your platform and increase take rates. Or if you are not in a particular geography, you can just buy like a, a, a company that's uh, doing well in that or, or PSP that's doing well in that market and, you know, uh, and, and just integrate that in your platform. And Peter basically realized that's the problem. That's the problem that he needs to solve, that the merchants cannot uh, be nimble, agile, uh, if they have to integrate all these different, like in you know, a hodgepodge of uh, acquisitions and platforms that the PSPs did, in order to kind of you know respond to the need of the customers, the end customers, right? And maybe uh, this is a question that uh, remains to be seen. Uh, maybe Adyen can uh, can survive even with like you know let's say average challenge pool just because their broad strategy, their singular their strategy of having a singular platform and uh, having a very simple, uh, agile you know, platform with a clear view of what's happening around the value chain in the payments complex uh, may just give them a decided advantage over any other legacy or you know, fellow disruptors uh, that's out there. So, so, so yeah, that 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 could be one of the reasons. That they, you know, they may even they may not even need the best talent out there uh, because they they are in a broad strategy from the top. Uh, is just you know uh, uh, probably a better approach uh, to solve enterprise customers increasingly more complex uh, payments problems. I think I heard someone make the analogy that it's like they're competing against. A car that was assembled with a bunch, a bunch of different parts from uh, different cars. That was in his report. Was that what? Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. The, uh, the I, I like that analogy. Um, I do want to touch kind of on, maybe touch a little bit on the culture. Do you? I know you kind of just alluded to it, but mm-hmm. a lot of that can sometimes be, from an investor's perception, sometimes that feels like fluff. Do you feel mm-hmm. like that is a true advantage for them? Yeah, so uh, I, I do agree. It, it, it's, it does feel like a fluff at times. Uh, every talks about culture, like there's no company out there in the world who says our culture is bad, right? <laughs> Everybody's proud of their culture. So I'm mindful of that. Uh, so I, I, I kind of have neutral you know, opinion on this. Uh, uh, yes, I have never heard any company uh, like where a board member is interviewing every single people who is coming into the door. Right, that's pretty unique, right? Uh, that requires commitment. Uh, that you really care about who's get, you know getting into your company. Who's get, who's it's it's just you know it's it's never easy to kind of scale your company and ensure the quality of the resource pool remains intact. So they're definitely mindful and careful of of that. 
but at the same time, like, you know, when I went through, uh, like, you know, uh, like uh, different forums on blind, which is like an anonymous, uh, people anonymously post their opinions on, uh, on, the, on, on their company that they're working in. And yes, you know, the common complaint is basically Adyen doesn't pay much, right? And uh, the most people who leave Adyen, I think it's because of you know lower pay and they get a better offer. Uh, so so yeah, you know that I, I do think you know that's something they uh, you know people people seem to really like the fact that you know they have sixty five percent EBITDA margin, seventy percent incremental EBITDA margin. I, I kind of feel like that's a lopsided value distribution between labor and capital. Right, I know. Like most tech companies, basically don't make any money. Like uh, they post even you know a negative gap EBIT margin or even negative non-gap EBIT margin. There are also many companies like that, uh, and and obviously investors are asking questions uh, on many of those fronts. Uh, and because Adyen doesn't have those problems, investors seem to Adyen definitely is in the uh, probably in the good book of uh, uh, investors, but. I feel like that's that's not probably a right balance uh, between labor and capital. Like sixty, like when you are generating 70 percent EBITDA margin, you certainly have capacity to pay your right. uh, you know, employees a lot higher than your some of your company. Like you know, I, I've heard some numbers on Stripe's margin or Checkout's margin. They are nowhere close to Adyen's margins. Right, maybe at some point they can be. I don't know, uh, but they were nowhere close to like sixty-five percent EBITDA margin, seventy percent EBITDA margin. So, is Adyen taking a risk here? I think yes. Adyen is probably taking a risk here by uh, by being uh, an employer who is paying below average market salary. Uh, so, so that so that that's something you know. Uh, uh, I guess. Uh, investors need to t- keep an eye on uh, whether they lose a lot of good talent uh, through attrition, through through uh, you know uh, uh, like to 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 other other uh, competitors or peers. Uh, so that's something uh, I, I would definitely keep my eyes on. Okay, and I I think we've covered the the business pretty well. So to kind of talk more, I guess about the the stock or Adyen as an investment. What do you think needs to go right for this to uh, result in a good investment? And then what multiple do you think Adyen deserves to trade at? Yeah. So I have reasonable confidence that the business will do well and a lot less confidence that the stock will do well. Right. Uh, so that's a nice way to say a premium valuation. Uh, yes. Right. Uh, so yeah, you know, uh, there are basically two questions uh, that I need to probably three. Uh, you know, uh, you need to be confident about uh, to make sure the stock does as well as the business. So, the more revenue streams, like the new 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 products that they are launching, issuing capital, and maybe you know a few others down the line as well. Right now, like you know, I don't think people are really uh, modeling those revenue streams. Right, I, I certainly didn't. Right, uh, so to the extent those are exceptionally successful revenue streams, uh, again, there's also uh, not as much clarity in terms of the economics of those products. Like when Adyen is launching Adyen uh, low, Adyen Capital, 
like who is financing, you know, who gets to keep what take rate, like, you know, if they are financing, they're providing financing to HC sellers, uh, does HC keep some of that, you know, revenue stream, uh, what percentage, you know, is kept by Adyen and and maybe a few other players in the value chain. So I, I, I don't know much clarity uh, in the economics of those things. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's one one thing that you know, if they are really successful in kind of you know uh, again you know, the payment volume is so large, uh, so twenty bips is their current take rates. If they increase it to a, I don't know even a few bips, uh, it can definitely uh, add a lot you know lot more revenue at a pretty uh, you know uh, like I said in the 70 percent EBITDA margin, uh, your revenue if you add more revenue, uh, you know your profitability is also uh, pretty compelling. Uh, at the same time, I, I think uh, I would I would definitely keep, as I mentioned earlier, I would keep my eyes on uh, the margins. They have raised, I think, margins almost by 10, 15 percentage points over the like last few years. I don't think we we can see similar sort of you know expansion. Uh, it may also be even possible that their margins may go down, right? So to the extent that's not the case. Uh, you know, uh, if they continue to, if they find ways to, like, you know, keep the uh, salary expenses low, uh, you know, keep hire, keep hiring decent people, uh, you know, outside US uh, and all that. So maybe it's possible to uh, maintain these margins. So, uh, uh, so yeah. So three things. One is basically the more revenue stream uh, uh, margins. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to mention is basically. Uh, the market share gain. So again, how do I define markets, right? So uh, TAM, you know, it's, for me, it was hard to find a reliable estimate. Uh, so I didn't doesn't operate in, in China. So the global payment volume, uh, ex- excluding China would be, it's like, you know, TAM, total addressable market. Uh, so it's hard to find uh, reliable estimates for global payment volume ex China, uh, like over the years. Maybe there's out there. I, 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 maybe I just didn't find it. Uh, so what I did was basically I just took Visa and Mastercard's uh, payments volume that they report consistently, and and make some assumptions to uh, to show to find out what percentage of uh, you know TAM adding is adding uh, as is penetrating. It used to be seventy bips like in 2017. Uh, right now it's two point three percent. Uh, so they 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 gained like you know 30 35 bips of market share in 2019 and 2020 but in 2021 they gained like 70 bips market share right so now the question is going forward whether their market share gain will be around 30 40 bips or or is it going to ex- accelerate from here right so from its seven so maybe 70 bips is the floor it could be 80 90 100 bips right so again, this this is a very hard question to answer at, at this point, but that's definitely an important uh, you know piece of the puzzle. So how 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 you know like even if if they gain like ten percent in twenty thirty, right now they're two point seven percent. If they gain ten percent in twenty thirty, the stock is probably undervalued. Uh, so so you know I'm talking more in like fundamental terms and less about uh, multiples because multiples are basically a function of that, right? So uh, whether you want to, like they're currently trading at 45X-ish, uh, you know, next 12 months uh, EBITDA. 
but you know whether that's the right multiple is dependent on basically how much their growth runway is out there how much their growth runway is left and that kind of you know ties back to what percent what's the market share will be like you know in 2030 right and then the also the other important question is what more revenue stream they can launch in in the interim years what's the profitability that is uh, that's going to be sustainable uh, over the next you know uh, few years so so you know when you tie those back uh, you know I, I think if they accelerate market share, if, if they accelerate their penetration, uh, the stock can, you know, can still do fine. Uh, but if we are looking at, you know, 30, 40 bips of market share gain, uh, the stock is probably still, I would say, pretty rich. All right. That's a very hard question to answer, as anyone listening will know. Uh, I want to do a fun one here, though. Uh, this may be an impossible question to answer, but I think a lot of people are they, they really compare Stripe to add-in, whether that's fair or unfair. They focus on that mm-hmm. a lot. What do you think would happen where Stripe has way more total payment volume in 2030? And what do you think could happen where we invert the situation and add-in is much larger in payment volume? Is there any sort of, because they seem to be growing in tandem, is there any sort of way where one do you see could separate from the other? I know you may not be as big of an expert in Stripe as, as add-in. Yeah. Uh, so you, you were asking, uh, like, which one will be larger, or, or what? Like, uh, not what you think, but like, is there any are there any advantages to Adyen, or any advantages that Stripe has that could propel them to be, say, I'm just throwing out a number here. Say Stripe is doing four billion in total payment volume, Adyen's only doing two, or inverted. What could happen for for you know one to grow quicker than the other? Yeah, I would be surprised if it's uh, four trillion versus two trillion in 2030 uh, for either direction, right? So I don't think the differences will be that large. Uh, I, I, my guess is so. Stripe is pretty big on uh, like the startup ecosystem. Like you know, they mentioned like uh, they want to start with the first few line of codes to IPO, uh, and they want to. Uh, be you know, partnering with, with those companies, right? Uh, so they're pretty big on the startups, uh, uh, new type of businesses like in subscription businesses, like my, you know, I uh, process my payments through Stripe. Uh, and Adyen basically always has been about uh, the enterprise customers, the Nikes, the Adidas, the you know, Amazons, Uber, Spotify, so the world. Adyen actually is not the primary PSP for Amazon, uh, Chase Payment Take is. Uh, so I think, uh, but Adyen is also trying to get into the marketplace model, right? So Adyen for marketplace is one of the ways they are trying to uh, get into the small uh, margin space in a kind of roundabout way, right? So they are not directly uh, addressing uh, small margins, uh, uh, you know, uh, out there, but they're, if, if you're processing marketplaces, you know, payments, you're indirectly also probably, you know, getting into those markets as well. My guess is they're all, they're, they will kind of, you know, uh, they will start competing uh, against each other uh, much more closely, uh, let's say in 2030. Uh, they still do, but uh, I don't think Stripe is a strong competitor in the enterprise markets yet. Uh, but you know, Stripe has seven thousand employees, and Adyen has two thousand employees, right? So you, you can imagine 
like uh, you know the differences in resource. So it, you know, uh, but then again, you know, if 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 private market becomes softer, which it probably is becoming, uh, start will probably have to cool it down in terms of you know uh, uh, investing uh, more. They probably will not raise fund uh, raise, you know anytime soon unless they want to do a down round, right? So I think my best guess would be uh, it, it will be similar and not like a significant difference between the two. Uh, but yeah, you know, to your point, uh, it's in, in, it's funny in a way uh, that people talk about Stripe, like, you know, if you just in a post on Twitter, which is going to, which private company is going to be a trillion dollar company in like 10 years, 20 years, I guarantee you a lot of people will, will basically reply to your tweet saying Stripe. Well, what's the market cap of Adyen? Right, uh, like an Adyen is a publicly traded company, has fifty billion dollars of market cap. Better and, margins, <laughs> right? Yeah. Way better margins, like not even comparable, right? You, you just you know, just imagine you have seven thousand employees uh, and two thousand employees for Adyen, and Stripe pays fifty percent more, generally speaking, compared to Adyen. So you, you can do the math, like you know, it's not in the same universe, even, right? So, uh, so I think yes, Stripe enjoys a massive narrative premium, incredibly massive narrative premium uh, compared to Adyen, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, a lot of people say that uh, Adyen will probably have a, a tailwind if Stripe ever becomes public and people realize that hey, Adyen's numbers are just way better in terms of profitability. Even if the TPV is similar, even if Stripe's revenue is higher potentially because their take rates are probably higher because they are in like, you know, uh, they're, you know, meeting the demands of like small merchants and like subscription businesses, which are, which have generally uh, higher, uh, you know, take rates compared to enterprise markets. Uh, but I would be, uh, you know, I, I don't know which way to go. It can also be the other way around. People can just wake up and say, hey, Stripe is not that valuable. Uh, uh, you know, we have a company called Adyen here and they process this amount, they have their take rates and they have these uh, advantages and all that. And on, on the other hand, uh, Stripe has, let's say way less margin and all. So, you know, people may just think uh, Stripe is not as valuable as, uh, you know, uh, many people many people thought it, it was. So yeah, I, I, it's hard to say uh, uh, exactly who will be who will who will have more. Uh, I mean, Stripe right now has ten percent more. Uh, so I mean, the easy bet would be just to bet for Stripe in terms of processing more volumes. Uh, but uh, to me, it's not uh, it's it's not super clear. Uh, and Stripe is a private company, so we don't have a lot of information, you know, to compare on a, like a quarter by quarter basis or like, you know, uh, uh, year by year basis. Uh, and Oh, by the way, so uh, Stripe, as you know, probably Stripe processes uh, payment for Shopify, right? And that's an extremely low take rate business. Uh, Adyen, uh, as far as I, I have uh, studied, they don't do any sort of like, you know, uh, exceptionally low uh, margin or take rate business, right? So, you know, Adyen is kind of, you know, they're, they're uh, in a way they're very uh, rigid, right? They, they they say we have the best product. We, we have better authorization rates than anyone. We are not a cheap product. You know, this is a premium product. You, you got to pay for it, right? Uh, so uh, we're not playing the TPV game, 
like, hey, we play, we uh, process like, you know, trillion dollar of uh, TPV, right? So even uh, Chase Payment Tech, uh, they process, uh, they, they are the primary PSP for Amazon. And I can bet you Amazon doesn't, you know, pay, you know uh, give them a higher take rates, right? So they don't generate a lot of take rates from Amazon. So, uh, so yeah, you know, Adyen probably would not be interested in, in, a, in a customer like that. So there's a lot of nuances. We can't just, you know, yes, Stripe can process more TPV than Adyen does, but then they may still be less profitable. I think that's a better question. In 2030, who will have higher profit? Like as a shareholder, we don't care about TPV. We care about profit, right? Uh, free cash flow, right? And uh, and I think uh, it's probably not the riskiest bet to say Adyen will have better, uh, higher profits uh, than Stripe in in 2025 or 2030. All right, I have one more question. That's Randy. Have one more? No, have, no go ahead. Uh, so. I think this is something investors may be thinking of if they know Adyen well, and that is expanding into what I guess just call them emerging markets. Is there a blue ocean there? Because I know we have Adyen, it's got Europe. I don't know if it, correct me if I'm wrong, like the leader there, you know, North America, they're doing well too. But what's stopping them from succeeding in, say, India, Southeast Asia, Africa, et cetera? Is that a blue ocean opportunity for Adyen? Uh, blue ocean. I, I I don't know about that. Uh, there are so checkout is pretty big in Middle East, for example. Uh, so there are companies, and like I said, Adyen is not going to do any M and A, right? They are not going to acquire a company in Nigeria, which Stripe did. I don't know whether it's in Nigeria, but it's an African payment company uh, Stripe uh, acquired. So so yeah, so you know. It, it, is that's the thing? I I, I feel like uh, yes, Adyen, and because of that rigid philosophy of no M and A, they may miss out on certain opportunities uh, to to uh, to process more payment volume, right? Uh, but at the same time, like you know, uh, I I think investors or market in general are kind of getting past those sort of naive metrics, right? So. I don't. I, I think we're past that market where we are talking about who is processing more payment volume, because that's probably not the relevant number, right? You can always do more TPV uh, when you buy, like a you know uh, a, co- a company that's doing well in a particular geography, acquire them, and basically you know your, their TPV becomes your TPV. You, you just process more payments, but it if it comes at the expense of you know, lower expense of higher authorization rates, then in the long run, you're probably behind, right? right. So Adyen may take more time to get into more markets, uh, to expand their geographical footprint, right? Uh, they may even, you know, they are already behind Stripe in terms of TPV, but in the long run, right? If you uh, maintain your high authorization rates, even if you are slower, into those markets, those customers will probably become those those you know uh, like you know enterprise or, uh, or or those margins will eventually become your customers. You may become their eventual uh, primary PSP uh, because you maintain your high authorization rates. But those that's a very, you have to play a very long game. I, I'm pretty sure it's not easy to stick to the philosophy of no M and A when everyone else is doing it. Everyone in the payments industry uh, do M&A, except Adyen. 
Do you have any more questions? Okay. I, I think I imagine listeners love that. So um, kind of, can you give a pitch for MBI, your research service? Te- what, maybe tease some upcoming companies. <laughs> if, if you can, what, uh, what, what do subscribers get uh, and, and where can any listeners that want to keep up with you uh, do that? Yeah, uh, I hate to break that to you, but uh, I don't think my subscribers will get much. It's basically, you know, I do one deep dive every month and that's it. Like, you know, I I, I don't provide uh, much more than that. I basically just pick a company, do a deep dive uh, on that company and write uh, like a you know, 20, 30 page piece, uh, uh, you know, on that company. And uh, it can be, I can be neutral. I can be long. I can. I don't short stocks, uh, but I, you know, I can be uh, like I don't. You know, yes, I can. I, I would say I, I can be either neutral or uh, like long, right? right. So uh, and yeah, and yes, even if I'm long, like I'm happy to talk about uh, the risks I see or uh, or the or the challenges I see. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty simple, you know, service, I guess, <laughs> you know, I just, uh, pick one company, do a deep dive and publish it. And, uh, anyone who's interested in something like this, this is not a stock picking service. This is a investment research service. And, uh, uh, and yeah, so that, that's, that's how I, you know, it's not a very strong pitch as I see it. Uh, <laughs> You're downplaying it. We are subscribers to the service and, and the, the write-ups are fantastic. The value definitely uh, outperforms the price. If that, <laughs> I, know that you, I know that you have that framework for doing that for your own service. And that's how a lot of people look at uh, portfolio companies as well. So I can say as a, as a customer, that is true. You're on that, you're on that path. And what is What's the, what's the Twitter handle for anyone that wants to follow you there? Oh, it's at uh, uh, borrowed uh, underscore ideas. Uh, so yeah, borrowed ideas. Our uh, full name is mostly borrowed ideas. Uh, yeah, and uh, I, I really enjoyed you know speaking with you guys. Thanks for inviting. I, I like I said in the beginning, uh, well before you hit record, that I, I enjoy your podcast. So I was I was I was very happy to to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. We want to hit the disclosure before we go. Uh, Brett and I are not financial advisors, so anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners for Arch Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. 